Can you hear my cat meowing in the background? <laughs> well, I did. Uh, I could hear some extra energy. You know, we've never recorded that I recall at least in the morning. Oh no, yeah. no, that's not true. We did last week with Sam. Uh, oh, that's right. Or that was like midday. Yeah, that was noon or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this is this is nine a.m. Eastern, which means uh, caffeinated. Um, you know. I haven't uh, given up on the day yet. <laughs> exactly. There, there's, there are many things to, uh, for me to overcommit to between now and the end of the day. <laughs> much, much opportunity to dig a, a deeper hole. Well, it's just you and me today. Back to the old grind, as they say. <laughs> yeah, I feel like uh, you know uh, if you go on vacation with another couple for a week. And like for that week, it's sort of the whole vibe is different because every meal you eat, you know, you eat dinner as a group and you're like telling the same old stories, but they seem new and fresh. And then you go back home and everyone's like, oh, right. Oh, it's just you. It's just you. <laughs> yeah. You, you were just more entertaining because someone else was here, there with us. Yikes. Yikes. <laughs> oh man, that's funny. Yeah. No, I would never feel that way about my wife, but I'm pretty sure she would feel that way about me. You oh, know. yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, because there's a you know there's a shtick. Um, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, I mean everyone's got a shtick, but I'm saying you know it happens on vacation. All right, well it's the day before uh, the U.S. Thanksgiving holiday. Yeah. Um, so let's let's do a quick uh, uh, tangent on that. Uh, one of your favorite holidays or your absolute favorite holiday? Thanksgiving. Yeah. Oh my god, I think Thanksgiving is a throwaway holiday. <laughs> <laughs> throwaway holiday yeah i don't like i mean it's like i you're one of those uh, yeah i'm sure i sound like a horrible person saying the holiday that we're supposed to give thanks for blah 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 but like like historically it's pointless it's like you get like two days off of work and maybe a half a day today depending where you work you know like i don't know it's like to me it's basically just like a cultural like vacation so we all get ready to spend a lot of money in December. Now, I mean, cultural vacation isn't exactly a criticism, I don't think. Like, in other words, that seems like it seems like the exact thing that we uh, praise European countries for, you know, having a culture, you know, cultural vacations now in their case, maybe like August or, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That uh, it's, it doesn't make sense to me that people have... Uh, that praise for that sort of European difference in the summer holiday issue and then say, well, Thanksgiving doesn't have historical significance. And if it does, it's sort of bad historical significance or, or at least sort of made up. Um, and therefore it's not good when I thought that this is what we wanted. Isn't this what we wanted, Kyle? Yeah. Like, I don't know that it's like, I mean, I don't feel strongly about the fact that it's like a horrible holiday. It's just, I just don't like, I don't, for example, as a as a kid, we would always travel on Thanksgiving and not to, like, go see family, but to do the opposite. <laughs> like, we would, like, go to, like, a theme park from, mm. like, Thursday through Friday or Saturday, you know? Like, it was very much just, like, we're going to spend time with family, but, like, w w family was very, uh, like, uh, tight at that point. Like, dad, you know, or whoever, you know? Like, not, like, the the gaggle of family that uh you know maybe you'd spend like um you know for, for maybe i would be spending like easter or christmas with or whatever um so for me it's like eh, like it's nice to be able to have the time off i'm gonna enjoy making breakfast tomorrow and watching the parade with the kid in the morning and like that's kind of it for me you know uh so 
I, I'm a much, uh, you know, if it's not apparent now, I celebrate basically Christian holidays and I am super stoked for Christmas. I really love Christmas. Um, even though that is like probably far more uh, <laughs> culturally insignificant. <laughs> well, I think they're both pretty culturally significant, I think. I think the thing about the criticism of Thanksgiving about its origins, I kind of forgive it, not the origins, but the holidays, uh, uh, the <laughs> holiday, um, because of the name. So if Columbus Day was called like Explore New Things Day, I'd have yeah. much of less of a problem with it. If it was, yeah. like, about the idea of exploring new things. Now, yeah, I mean, the sort of origin story of Thanksgiving is, like, at worst not true and at... Or at best not true and at worst, you know, kind of offensive. Um, but, like, like, who sits around the Thanksgiving... Well, one, it's not named after that. And two, who actually has that sort of baloney second grade origin of Thanksgiving story as part of their, their holiday. It's funny that you mentioned that, right? Cause I, I do think that's true. And like Cooper is like a little under two, right? And he's in daycare and like this week they've been doing like Thanksgiving things, but it's been very much like giving thanks, like being thankful for mom and dad for making food and like blah, 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 blah. Like there are no pilgrims, there are no Native Americans. There like, we go. None of it. It's just like it, all week. Like it's like today he like practiced making food, and then like and then he said like he learned how to say thank you using American Sign Language and like stuff like that. And so I don't know if we're just at some really hippie daycare who's like who's like doing it that way, you know? Because I do think that uh, the previous daycare we were at, which was much more um, like Anglo Christian based, I bet would have been doing like far more uh you know pilgrims and indian type stuff uh but it's it was kind of funny to me because i do i do think that we are probably on a generational like breakup with the origin story of thanksgiving you know yeah, what i mean it's i think just so. like we're just all just we're just we just eat now you know That's yeah that. we eat and love each other and then we go spend uh, money and throw elbows and use mace on Friday. Right now, <laughs> so the Super Bowl of Thanksgiving holidays. Right. So I am, uh, I am very pro Thanksgiving. If you can't tell, I I like uh, I it, we have like a big event at my parents' house in Albany. I usually make it there, and I will this year. It's the uh, first time that all five kids will be together, which is very you know, good for me. Not that that's usually why I like Thanksgiving, but I think Thanksgiving tends to create these sorts of opportunities. Um, so I'm, I'm pro Thanksgiving. There we go. <laughs> uh, like not, not even, I have no, uh, uh, I'm not conflicted at all. It doesn't sound like you're very conflicted either. You're just anti. No, I'm not. I don't, I don't know that I'm anti. Like it doesn't bother me to celebrate it, but like if like next year they were like, Hey, Thanksgiving, like, you know, new law. We're not going to ever celebrate Thanksgiving. I'd be like, all right. Hmm. Well, I thought about doing uh, or suggesting that this episode be about, uh, the, the things that we're thankful for this year from a development perspective. But now that I know that you're uh, anti being thankful, I'm glad I didn't suggest it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Let's actually, let's just do the opposite. Like the things that really cause you pain and strife this year. Yeah. yeah. Just complain about them. That's the real American way. Yeah. It sounds, you know, I'm starting to figure you out and then do nothing to fix it. (laughs) Starting to figure you out. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. Uh, all right. Uh, so topic for today, um, I think should be pretty good. So I've been, uh, working this week at getting an app out into production and it's like a, I don't want to say it's a, 
It's not a big app. Now the, the app in back of it, sort of like the, the service in back of it is relatively large, but this is like a, a web and mobile client that provides a set of very particular, uh, a very particular set of functionality related to that application. There we go. Uh, and you, so you saw a little bit of it. Uh, and then I've been, you know, kind of getting through the punch list this past week to actually get it out into production. And I thought that it would be an interesting, uh, source of material, uh, because it's, uh, it's always interesting to go from the works on my machine in development to the works for everyone in production, uh, uh in a performant way. Yeah. <laughs> There we go. That's yeah, no, I mean, uh, we, we were talking about this kind of without spoiling, you know, without kind of getting too deep into it. And I mean, it's, I, I do, you know, I, my, I'm, I do my day job and then at night I like work on some side projects and stuff like that and, and help some other people out. And it's always kind of like uh, surprising to me how I, I feel mildly spoiled at GitHub just with its um, like deployment uh tool chain you know and sort of the things that help me know that my deployment didn't ruin everything um compared to like you know a side project which maybe doesn't have all that set up or maybe none of it set up and so um i found i've kind of curated personally a a very big sort of opinion you know on like what i need in order to do what i want you know and able to get it into production make sure it's working didn't you know ruin everyone's day didn't make performance gross um you know that sort of thing and so uh yeah no i'm into this this is a this is a big thing okay so let me set it up a little bit by describing what the application does um because i think that the some of the interesting bits require a tiny bit of context so uh let me try so i've mentioned this application before this is the same one uh that was behind the comments around the user interfaces the exception state um episode or something that sounded like that. Um, so the application, um, is, uh, a, a, sort of a sourcing assistance application that, that helps a logistic company, logistics company, um, more efficiently and effectively, uh, find trucking companies to move the freight that they have. Um, so, you know, imagine you've got, a. uh, you know, you need to move widgets from point A to point B. It, uh, figures out what trucking companies of the you know many thousands that are out there would maybe be interested in moving that from point A to point B, and then notifies them about all of the opportunities that you have that may match their capabilities. So that's the that's the setup. Um, and the application is a web client. So this is ironic, given that we did a, a, a episode all about how the web client is sort of the exception state. Well, I'm finally around to doing it at now after we have you know, the email client and the automated, uh, API based client, um, all up and in production for a while now, this is the, you know, finally the web client for it so that, uh, users can manage profiles for these carriers. And, and not to, not to get you too off track here, but it's interesting. Cause I know, I know, I remember you saying that you didn't like the email thing first and like, that does seem to be a trend right now a little bit, you know, like, I don't know if you've seen any of these, like there's a, um, like a, um, uh, like an, what are they called mocks you know like the online you know learning tools or whatever uh mm -hmm. there's like a couple of new startups that do that and they only do it via email like there's no web ui you just like select a course you know like, there's oh, like yeah. one form mm -hmm. then you just get the emails every day you know all their content and you know work communication with you is via email um and so then they can figure out if that's actually working the way they want and then they can build a web ui later 
Um, I find that to be really like intriguing. I have I've had no chance to do something like that, but it, it sounds really cool because you, you're you have a very limited communication like protocol through that. You know, it's just text or a very very simple HTML. Um, you know, get up, and, and you, you don't have time or the ability to really worry too much about you know what's going on because it's just sort of like you know make make a carbon copy and send it along there's no you know interaction or anything so i find that really compelling i I hope i have a chance to work on a project that can start that way at least i was actually aware of that trend because i i set the trend um (laughs) kyle (laughs) that's I, I was aware of it because that was my trend. Yeah, yeah. I have a shirt that says, I started the email trend before yeah. you even heard about it. Yeah, you may be referring to the thing that I started, Kyle. No, that's not true. Uh, but yeah, I, I think it, and it ended up working out quite interestingly in that, you know, it, it, uh, one, it created a lot of value and you're right. It created like a very narrow interface into the the application and, and helped me figure out a bunch of things that I think I would have screwed up. Um, if I had made the web client first, but anyhow, I'm onto the web client now. And uh, the thing that I think that's uh, really interesting about pushing this one out to production. And before we get there, so you saw it and you made some interesting comments about, uh, so it's an, app, it's going to drag me out into the open, aren't you now? Yep. Sean? So it's an Ember app. Uh, and, uh, uh, you made some interesting comments live about it. So w- what did it sort of, what did it feel like as compared to other things? <laughs> So my, my, so you, you said two things that actually like really kind of like are duh a little bit, but like really, uh, made it clear for me why to use something like Ember in an API. And so like the duh thing, which crystallized in my mind, why I, why I disliked Ember, but now makes perfect sense is you said, basically you're doing it wrong. If you're letting your app render things in two places, you know, and like that's kind of like a duh to me now, but it crystallizes why I initially disliked Ember because I guess you could just say I was doing it wrong, you know, like or I was on, I was thinking about it incorrectly where I figured, you know, like the site, like the Rails app would render HTML and then you'd sort of like build this like Ember app onto that and then the Ember app would continue to be, um, you know, like interesting, you know, and, and do, do its, do its work. So to be clear about what you mean here. So you mean like, and like what I said was either you have the yeah. server render all the HTML or you have the client render all the HTML, but never have both of them be rendering HTML. Right. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. That's clear. Um, so yeah, I mean that, 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 that really helped me go, Oh, like that's why I had this kind of gross, reaction i think to it initially um but the other thing was that the, the this thing is one giant wizard really you know like you're basically ge- generating searches and these searches have a multitude of, of steps to them and then you just sort of um you can view the searches but ultimately you're just kind of creating these things so you can get these emails um and so like going through the wizard and like you just kind of like p- poked through it and and I, it's like i don't even know when you communicated with the server you know through through that whole thing because it was just so seamless and so in that one wizard state i was very much like yep totally get it now like this is exactly why you should use client side you know um and so being the the skeptic that i am generally i i was uh without any prompting from you or (laughs) goading (laughs) about like wow kyle don't you think this is fast because i because i would goad oh definitely (laughs) but i didn't (laughs) yeah i know you totally didn't and so i yeah i mean i was um 
I was uh, yeah happy with it. I think I think it, I think it it made me far more interested in in giving it a shot in like the right context, which seems to be well. I think it really shines at least when there's like that multi-step flow that you need to do, you know, for user experience. Uh, and you don't want to like be like send it to the server, wait for it to load, re-render the HTML, do make one change, click submit, send it to the server. Um, even if you're doing that asynchronously, uh, it, you know, it, it felt it just felt really really fast. It's an interesting. I, I don't want to get too sidetracked on this point, but I think that's an interesting topic about whether or not. Um I mean, obviously you should pick the right tool for the job. So I sort of agree with that, that the truism part of that. But I think that your uh, understanding of what the job is does get affected by what tools you know. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So I would, like, if I was recommending, if I was, let's say you were interested in learning Ember, I'd say actually don't sweat what job to begin with. Now, like maybe once you're, once you have that tool in your box, so to speak, um, and are capable of using Ember as effectively as you could, uh, uh, you know, a certain rails rendered application, um, then, you know, then yeah, pick the right tool for the job. But I think, um, before you know the tool, it's very difficult to know if it's right for any given job because yeah. your understanding of the job will be pretty fundamentally shaped by the tools, you know, at least that's my take. I don't, I don't know if everyone would agree with that, but I, uh, that, that's my experience. Yep. Mm -hmm. Okay. Anyway, so that's the, that's the background on this application and, and one more little piece of context. So the searches that Kyle mentioned would be something like this. You say, okay, I'm going to create a, a profile for Kyle's trucking company. And I want to send um, these four people, these four email addresses, uh, a notification when, a load matches um, the following criteria. And the criteria could be things like when the equipment type is, you know, van or refrigerated van, when the line haul type is, you know, one of these three things, like a, a partial truckload or truckload, when the origin state is in one of the, is in this list, like any of the, or the um, Northeast states, and when the destination is within 100 miles of Los Angeles. Right. That's the idea of what you're adding, which is why having it sort of be a wizard is important because those criteria are each their own world. Okay. So that's the context. So, uh, when I saw you and showed you where it was, things were in like pretty good shape on my machine and, uh, what could possibly go wrong? What could possibly go wrong was definitely the next, like, thankfully I had budgeted in three to five days for, uh, like hook this up to the production application that is like busy and working and has tons of data and is a, you know, living, breathing animal. Um, just knowing that there were going to be things, right. Things that I didn't see coming, uh, performance issues that, uh, in particular that, uh, you know, pop up when you're both not using a fast MacBook pro as your development machine and having, you know, no latency with database uh, calls and, uh, you know, uh, I, I wasn't developing on the same production database of so the data set while I generated a medium sized one to work on. It wasn't the size that the production data uh, set was. So, you know, I, I kind of knew that there were some problems coming, but you know, didn't know which ones obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think that the, the interesting part, uh, to talk through about this episode is in this initial deploy, because to your point about GitHub, once you have things deployed, then any given change is typically relatively small as a, mm -hmm. as a share of the entire, uh, impact of the app. Mm 
Mm-hmm. So it's like pretty easy to deal, relatively easier at least to deal with those changes because you've got a baseline. But what, what about when you don't have a baseline? You're just like putting something brand new out into the wild. To me, that's like a much more intense experience because it, it's uh, instead of having like one, a baseline where you know what to expect and you've ironed out some of the key issues, you are creating the baseline. And uh, some of the sort of old standbys that I use for all of the production apps that I have when I tweak them just, I mean, they sort of apply, but you need a, a, an additional set of tools to, um, spelunk the problems that come mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. before we get into that. Let me give, uh, let me give a bit of a, uh, a shout out to Braintree, Braintree, the Thanksgiving day sponsor of the Ruby on rails. Well, it's nice. not Thanksgiving. The, the day before Thanksgiving <laughs> sponsor. Is there a is there a name for today's holiday? Like a Thanksgiving? Thanksgiving Eve, yo. That's when all the college kids go drinking. I know. I sort of figured that that had a name unto itself. Like, you know. Um, drunk on Thanksgiving Eve? Law firm offering free rides home. Yeah, nope. exactly. Just a quick Google. Blackout Wednesday? Okay. Yeah, that sounds about right. Drinksgiving? Okay, okay. This is what Wikipedia says. Prop- so I'm just letting it, it's a very short it's a very short article, so yeah, not great. Drinks drinksgiving seems appro- <laughs> yeah, Blackout Wednesday seems a little bit not family friendly. Right. Drinksgiving <laughs> seems like appropriately basic too. Oh, great. Awesome. Okay. Fun. So first sponsor of today's episode is Braintree. Um let me put my glasses on. What's <laughs> <laughs> not going out to drinksgiving tonight? <laughs> no. Although I am, quick aside, I think I am going to Boston tonight. What? For yeah. What? Celtics game. Damn. You know. That's like the... That, that's like the... Invite, by the way. Uh, well, this is your invite right now. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, so uh, that's like drinksgiving for a dad. Right? I'm like... <laughs> Dad's giving? Yeah, exactly. What can I do with the kids? It's, you know, it's uh, we're going on a road trip tomorrow with everyone, but tonight I've got some you know, time and everyone's here, so this was the best I came up with, which I think is pretty good. I love it. Yeah. Uh, anyways, do you want to go tonight? Uh, you know, I got to talk to my better half. <laughs> okay. Why don't you do that while I tell everyone about Braintree? Hey, <laughs> uh, Braintree is code for easy online payments. If you're building a mobile app and searching for a simple payment solution, check out Braintree. The Braintree V.0 SDK makes it easy to offer multiple mobile payment types. You can start accepting PayPal, Apple Pay, Bitcoin, Venmo, credit cards, and more, all with a simple integration. Uh, to learn more, and you can get $50,000 in transactions fee-free, go to braintreepayments.com slash Rails podcast. Now, there you're going to learn more about the SDK. It's not going to take you long at all to get your integration set up. And if you need help... Um, they've got great documentation and a support staff, uh, ready to either give you a hand with whatever's troubling you related to their SDK or actually do some of the work, uh, for you. So again, okay, so hold on. I want to jump in here. I actually saw this happen and it's amazing. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Say more. So without kind of spilling too many beans, uh, I was helping someone who was having a brain tree problem and they forwarded me an email from the brain tree, like this team, I guess at brain tree who like was highly technical, like pulled out like all the parameters that were being sent over, like all the information, the calls that were made to like point out, like, this is the exact problem you're having. You just need to make this one change in your code. Like you need to put this key here. That's why it's not working. Uh, and it it was it was pretty cool. So I know we've kind of been joshing around like before that. You know, I wonder what that actually means. It 
it seems to me that there's an engineer on the other end that is actually like pulling out your exact requests to them and showing where, like what data you're not sending or what the you know encryption problem is or whatever. So yeah, legit, no joke. Braintree seems pretty great for that. All right, this real life testimonial brought to you by Braintree. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, so BraintreePayments.com/slash/RailsPodcast. Thanks to them for sponsoring the show. Okay, so uh, what problems could you imagine I had when I deployed this? Let's go. Th- let's see if my uh, my list of real world uh, production app in the wild sort of matches your. Of course, you were going to have these problems, Sean. List. Oh man. Um, so let's see. Well, usually when I deploy stuff like in, is this in Her- Heroku? Is that spilling uh, beans? Uh, well, it's not spilling beans, and yes, it is in Heroku. Okay, so. Uh, this episode not brought to you by uh, DigitalOcean, <laughs> thankfully. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, like, did you... So, like, simple things usually come up, like, when you deploy and you don't have, like, all the necessary, like, data already in the system. Did you already have that figured out? Well, this is so back to your Heroku question. So I answered too hastily. So the the answer on the Rails side is that, yes, this application's in Heroku. And the Rails side of this is a big part of the application and a lot of what we'll talk about. But um, the Ember side deployment's not on Heroku, which is, like, worth talking about for a minute. Okay. Um, so... Now, so you you haven't you haven't worked on like a you know client uh, JavaScript framework app. So deployment is like comically straightforward. So here's what deployment means: uh, Ember CLI builds well. Ember CLI deploy, which is like a, a library on top of Ember CLI, which is like the build um, CLI toolchain. So it it basically builds a production worthy version of your application. So minified and gzipped and and obfuscated and whatever it does right and uh so, so you have basically a file right the a, a bootstrap file or multiple files so a bootstrap file a javascript file a css file so those three and then your assets that are like images and whatnot and all you do is put them out somewhere like i put them out on aws that's it hmm. and then aws serves up the uh, index file. And then I also use AWS to host the assets and you know, the, the, so the index file calls to AWS to get the assets and boots the app and that's it. Hmm. Yeah. There's like nothing to it. Uh, which Only is, we could get rid of the backend app. <laughs> yeah. Right. No, the back, backend app's got a lot going on. Uh, so anyway, so the, the deploy back to your question is, uh, AWS, both on the index, sort of the bootstrap index file, plus the assets, and then uh, Heroku for the Rails app, and and Heroku Postgres for the database, which is a big part of this. Okay. Continue. Oh, so you were saying about the data. Yeah, because like usually like when you build apps like this, you like have like categories or like some sort of stock data that's not in there, and the thing doesn't work great, uh, unless you've automated that part. When you go to Heroku, <laughs> yeah. So the um, I had that out already because um, the application's been running in the server side of it's been running in production for a while um, with the email and and sort of automated um, profile construction client. Um, now, uh, interestingly, related to that point, I did notice some weird things in the seeded data not just seated, the seated and production data when I started to hook it up to production. So for example, I noticed that in the, 
uh, equipment types, there were like three that didn't make any sense. God knows how they ever got there. <laughs> right. Like I, I probably had, uh, you know, in a very early version of the, the seed app six months ago or something, I probably had, you know, something in the equipment test data that ended up, you know, not being removed from the YAML file that, that seeded them. And right. I hadn't seen it until, you know, once you've got an application that's just pulling off of the seated tables, cause it's never, it, it didn't matter without a, a user interface for this. Right. Um, you noticed it, but besides that issue, I, this was already taken care of. All right. Um, now one, okay. So, so one related to that is I needed to, um, I needed to search more. Like I had, I have a number of, uh, search related features in the client. So one would be like searching for postal codes based on, you know, postal code or city name or state or whatever. And, you know, searching for carriers and various searching tasks. And I did need to do some seeding in Elasticsearch that I hadn't done before. Okay. Yeah. Uh, which is not an insignificant task when you have like, you know, millions of a record or a million of a record, uh, uh, you know, of a, of a, of a model. Uh, so yeah, that definitely was a thing. And one thing you, you definitely feel when you go to production is that everything all of a sudden takes like a thousand times longer than it did when you're just <laughs> developing on your machine. Right. You know, you like notice, Oh shoot. Uh, I didn't, what's a good example. Uh, I didn't add, uh, the email addresses to the, you know, map and elastic search for this resource. And now I need to do that. But then you realize there are, you know, a hundred thousand of that resource. And then you have to say, well, what do I, what am I going to do? You know, I have to rebuild the index and do I just sort of do it live and a well on the request that may have been made in those five minutes while I was loading that data. Or do I do, you know, do I have downtime over the weekend or do, you know, do I go through the hassle in the case of Elasticsearch of like, yeah, um, sort of doing a zero downtime deal where you create a new index and see that whole thing and then swap it into the, the old name later. So those, those are all interesting problems that you just don't have when you're in development. Right, right, right. Uh, which I had. <laughs> of course. And I embarrassingly uh, chose the, uh, I'll just have five minutes of downtime option, which is like not great. It's not, it's not great, Bob, but oh well, sometimes things don't matter that much. And in this case, uh, you know, I was like, well, there will be like four requests that get hit during this period that I do this. Oh well. Yeah. No big deal. All right. So seeded data. So your first issue had some of it, had some, uh, had most of the seed data already in there because the application had been used, but a few that were, shouldn't have been there and were erroneous that I cleaned up as a result. All right. What's next on your list? Um, I'm going to guess, uh, because presume because you already had data in the system, right? Lots of data. Yeah. Right. And so then like query performance has to come up, right? <laughs> Shockingly. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Where you're like, damn it, there's this index I don't have and now I got to add it or whatever. Well, I learned something today about, uh, this morning about this very topic. So I was trying to figure out how, um, like why a given request was going slowly. And this one was, uh, let's see. So I was asking for all of, um, all of a given type of a resource. And then I was including some of its relationships in what I was asking back. And when I did the queries, uh, when I like took a look at the queries, they're super fast. So like the problem didn't seem to be in the database, but the, but it was taking a long time to, uh, return a long time, you know, relative to what it should have at least, uh, to return the response to that request. Mm -hmm. So I dug in and found that there was, there is a, 
uh, n plus one bug in JSON API resources for has one relationships if you say you want to include the ID by default in all responses. So there we are, you know, like took, took a while to figure that one out. And uh, there's an issue in GitHub for JSON API resources if someone wants to fix that while I'm recording the show. Uh, oh, see, that's so funny that you mentioned that because in my head I was going to stop you and ask, like, you know, like the one question that I've always had about like these types of tools is, you know, for like the layman, you know, who who maybe doesn't have as much experience with JSON API. Now, granted, like you can always just go in and, you know, dig in the code and fix it yourself. But I, I, I was kind of assuming that you would either be able to know like oh yep this is the problem or whatever you know and go in and fix it um do you know what i'm trying to say instead of just sort of letting uh you know letting this poor this poor soul not know what's going on uh well this one could definitely so yeah do you know what i mean like you you have way more experience with json api resources than i let's just say right and so you know, if this were to come up to me, I'm sure I would have seen the the database, you know, queries come through, and, and then maybe splunked all the way down and figured it out myself. But, um... well, I have a bad memory, so I uh, this is embarrassing. So I uh, this morning was like, why is this uh, n plus one happening? Like, I don't understand. And uh, so I dig and I look, and I'm like, oh, okay, it's it's being caused by. Uh, the sort of inclusion of the ID of the related resource, but, uh, and that's set by this config flag. So I do that spelunking you just mentioned, like, because like I didn't have like instant recall of this issue. So then I switch it to, uh, false that flag in the config. I say, okay, I'm just going to turn this off. So I turn it off. Everything seems like it's working. Okay. And I'm like, Hmm, I wonder, you know, it seems like it's working. Okay. Run the tests for tests fail. And I'm like, oh, okay. And then I figure out from those tests where to go in the client to actually see that it failed. I say, oh, shoot. Well, I either have to pick refactoring this um, this thing that's failing, which it would be a – which would be – I'm not even sure if I could, actually, because I sort of need the ID in this uh, in, in this filtering uh, feature that I was working on. So uh, – or – I have to deal with the crappy performance, which is like not the end of the world, given this is all like background loaded data and whatever, yeah. it'd be fine. Or I have to uh, fix the problem, you know, the, the actual problem. So, uh, I switch the flag back to, to say, okay, you know, include the, the has one IDs in the response by default, test all pass again. Uh, I make a note for myself in the config to say like, Hey, this is set and you may want to change it later, but don't until this is fixed. And then I go to JSON API resources and I say, Oh, I'm going to be a good citizen. Like I'm going to file an issue because I don't have the time to work on it this second because we're about to record. Um, so I'm going to file an issue so that I can come back later or maybe get surprised by someone else doing it. Um, I go, I search JSON API resources for the flag that I wanted to file the issue about having the has one or the N plus one query. And I found an issue that I filed on it. <laughs> oh, <right>. wow. It's <laughs> kind of funny. That's ridiculous. It means that I have, I, 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 my memory is so bad that I had this exact experience already like two weeks ago or a week ago, maybe whatever. I'll look and had like no recollection of it. <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of funny. Oh, that's not good. Not good. <laughs> But yes, so, so, um, I mean, that was sort of a query performance issue, although it was really more a, um, 
I don't know if I'd call that query performance or sort of like a, a composition of resources. Um, like in other words, like there, there was no test in the system that like all of the individual queries seem to be working fine, but it was the way that, that the, um, the application was sort of using the resources together that got a little bit funky. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, saw, saw that one. I also learned this is back to the thing I learned. Um, uh, that the order that you put a um, multi-column index matters. Did you know that? I did. You have to do it by cardinality, right? I can't believe that I didn't know. Like, oh, maybe I did know it and just forgot. I should <laughs> see exhibit A. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I think I probably have have looked this up before. But yeah, so why don't you explain how? Like, how do you pick the order of the columns if you've got a multi-column index? So you want it to. You want to put, and, and stop me if I'm wrong here, because I could pro- probably screw this up, but you want to put the order of the columns in the one with the most unique values first, going to the least unique values, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so that way the, the query, the query um, uh, optimizer can, can basically get rid of more records faster. So, for example, if you have a, um, let's say you've got a polymorphic, or, or yeah, like let's let's say you've got a, a class like well, this example was I had an identification class, and identifications are things like not literally social security numbers, but like Dunn's number, social security number, like whatever I you know a unique ID from a given company. So there, are, I have to deal with a lot of those in this application. So there's a there's a, a model that just deals with the idea of identify like a unique identifier. Which has been great because it provides a bunch of uh, functionality that helps with sort of preventing bad data that I've been able to use. Um, but it has a polymorphic relationship to the thing that it identifies. So there's a identified type and an identified ID. So given what you just said, you put the identified ID first. Right. Uh, and then the identified. Well, in most cases, it would be that way. Because there are not that many... Uh, identifications with the same ID compared to there are very many identifications yeah. with the same type identified yeah. type. Anyways, you know, there you go. like you said, I think I probably learned that like seven times, but you know, learned yeah, it again that's one today. Of those things that you just use so infrequently, you know, that like compared to like, you know, Ruby stuff that it's easy to, it's easy to forget that. Yeah. So that, that's another example of the, um, uh, query performance class of production, you know, sort of predictable production, uh, problems that I saw. Did you do anything with Heroku's different like instance types? I know Mike, um, countermash who you've had on the podcast wrote like a great article about that. I'm not sure if this is big enough to sort of benefit from. No, I, I did. That. Yeah. That's actually a good, I think that, that relates, which is memory is a big thing that you deal with in production that, um, you tend not to deal with in development. So, um, this is like a two part answer to this that I think is interesting. So, um, part one is, you know, this MacBook pro, while it seems like maybe this is a problem with the language. So, uh, when you think of your laptop, you think that it just, it feels like that's more of a consumer thing than the server. But in fact, these two things are very different, right? This MacBook pro is way, way, way more powerful than a dyno. Like they're not in the same class of thing. Isn't it funny how like. I feel like that is like relatively recent, you know, like 
not not relatively recent, but it's just like it, it feels like at some point, you know, we when we first started moving everything to the cloud, you know, like the cloud servers in some ways were like, wow, these things are so powerful and so easy to launch. And then and then because we've sort of taken slices and slices and slices and went to like platforms more and more, you know, going into Heroku especially always feels like a step back, I feel like, you know, unless you use one of their new like mega mega dinos. Um and compared to just using your your little uh, your little computer, now I have like the twelve inch MacBook. I use a, I use an iMac at home, but when I travel, I use a MacBook. And a MacBook, I believe, is like a Dino. <laughs> I was going to say they, should, they I, that's a better name for it than the MacBook One, which people call it because it's got the one port. Is the MacBook Dino? <laughs> yeah, the MacBook Hobby Dino. <laughs> <laughs> I think they. I think that you should have to like close it and put it under your bed for six hours at night. Yeah, yeah, exactly. If I use it too much, it just turns off and says, I'm sorry, you'll have to upgrade to a real computer to continue programming. It goes to sleep and then shames you. And then, like, <laughs> if you, like, peek at it while it's supposed to be asleep, then, you know, the internet tells you that this is why yeah. we can't have nice things. This is why we can't have nice things? <laughs> <laughs> that's funny well anyhow yes yeah, so i had this experience where i was reminded yet again that the my little uh, cloud servers and and you're right the word server connotes this um power power and we just need a different word like baby computer in the cloud uh so of course it's got low memory ceiling so i did two things i um one i boosted to the 2x memory footprint um, you know, kind of going on Mike's uh, recommendation that, you know, going with more memory before more dinos is the better way to go in general. And I, I found the same thing. So I did that. And then I had to tune, um, the amount of, uh, threads and workers that Puma had mm-hmm. because the application was relatively memory hungry. So, Without again, without totally distracting you, I have yet to use Puma. Oh, really? Yeah. So, what's like the quick one-liner besides it's better? <laughs> um, well, it's it's multi-threaded so, and forking. So you've used Unicorn, I assume. Yep. Mm-hmm. So Unicorn is and uh, if I get this wrong, anyone you know, feel free to correct. But I, I believe Unicorn is only forking. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, that's right. So, uh, if you say like, okay, I want to run, um, three, I don't, I'm not sure if they use the word forks, but, um, three workers. workers, Okay. Three workers in unicorn, then, um, you are going to need sort of three, uh, well, one, your application doesn't need to be thread safe then, right? Cause they're, they're each going to run separately. Uh, whereas with Puma, it, it has that functionality too. And I believe they call it workers also. So it is a forking web server, but it's also, also multi-threaded so that you can say, okay, I want one worker with five threads. And that means that it's going to accept, be able to accept five connections, you know, or, or a hundred for that matter. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the issue is, is that the, the GIL and Ruby is, is, you know, if your application is mostly using the CPU and is not that IO intense, mm-hmm. then the benefit of having multiple uh, threads isn't that high, right? Because they're just going to wait in line to use uh, right. the processor. Whereas if uh, it has a lot of IO, so lots of database calls or API calls or whatever, then having multiple threads is great because most of the time it's not waiting for the CPU, it's waiting for something else to, to return to it, in which mm-hmm. case the GAL is not going to get in the way. Right. 
Um, so that's the difference is the threads uh, okay. edition. And, uh, yeah, it's, I, I used it, uh, when it was newer. So back a few years ago, had some issues, switched back to unicorn. And then once like Heroku basically gave it the thumbs up, um, and it was a bit more mature, I switched back and I've had pretty good luck with it. Nice. Okay. I mean, I like the, the multi-threadedness is quite nice. Um, you know, the, the watch out is if you, your application is not thread safe, then, um, that could be a problem. So older, older applications, I think that'd be more common than the new ones, given that rails got the sort of thread safe religion. Right, right, right. Yeah. That was going to be my next question. So thank you. <laughs> is rails thread safe? Well, I mean, I know that, I know that it can be, it, it was just a matter of sort of, uh, you know, uh, I guess I, if you've run into any, if you if your code has, has had any issues with that, but I guess it sounds like Wait, no. my code, Kyle, my my no of course my code has not had these issues this I, this, <laughs> this episode brought to you by humble sean uh, by by hubris thankful and humble sean <laughs> oh god if, I, if there could be a problem i have written it that is definitely <laughs> true uh you know i think with a with a i don't recall if i had sort of thread safety issues back in like rails three whatever or late two um, time period before, um, yeah, before rails four, but I, but I haven't since then. Okay. Um, so anyway, so yeah, there, there was some memory, uh, tuning and, and it's funny how these things all relate. So, uh, I saw the memory just exploding on certain types of requests and, um, probably should have earlier on figured that there was some uh, something that was getting called that was just wicked expensive again and again and again, um, that needed to be cached. I probably should have figured this out. Um, but my first hinting that that was the problem came when I saw what was happening with memory on Heroku. Um, and it makes me think that in development, um, and, and there probably is a solution for this that I'm just unaware. I would, I would love uh, if there, you know how in Chrome you can make the browser, and you can do this in Safari too. You can make the browser act like a uh, like iPhone five with a crappy internet connection. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I would love if, uh, like, when I said like form and start on my application, I could pass like dash dash act like a Heroku Dino. Oh, interesting. Right, and then it like, like artificially constrain yourself to a certain amount of memory, basically. Yeah, exactly. You know, and and like. Uh, well, this is a good list. So, like, put a memory ceiling on, um, add latency to database calls, right? So, like, just, sh- just shim in, uh, you know, n milliseconds for every time the database gets called. Yeah. Any query that's sent whatsoever. Um, and maybe, like, maybe it's, like, n times some factor of, of how long it, ta- it took to uh, come back, knowing that the, the database performance will be slightly less, too. Um but anyways, have it like mock what the performance uh, and memory footprint would be so that like you could uh, avoid seeing this difference or even have to do like the mental calculation of, uh, back of the envelope about what the difference is between your, your MacBook and, and uh, mm-hmm. the cloud. Mm-hmm. What's your guess? Has someone done that already? Um, I, I'm sure they have. But I'm not sure that it's like gemified. I know like latency is definitely... Uh, available via a gem. The name escapes me, so I'll have to find it. But um, on database calls, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's a good one. I would use that. Um, so yeah, I'd have to find that. I know, but I know that exists. I'm not sure about the like start this and you know maybe use something to make sure that the memory stays constrained to this um, amount. Yeah, like switch. It basically, you'd have. To, I think it, it would if it could sort of force going to swap beyond the limit, which is what I think Heroku does. Uh, that would be interesting. Yeah. Well, anyhow, so yeah, so I had that class of problem and, and, uh, it was a little, a little messy to fix it. Like I ultimately did. I figured out, you know, what the differences were and got the memory under control and tune the workers and switch to more threads and, and all that. But I don't know. I, maybe that day of fidgeting with, with those until you get like performance on Heroku without uh, timeouts, etc. And whether it's Heroku or something else, I think isn't the point. I mean, it, if, it, if you had, you know, your own bigger server provisioned, maybe you just headroom would be higher and you wouldn't have to worry about these things until two months later, but you'd have to worry about it sooner or later. Um, so it, maybe you just sort of have to pay the piper and deal with that for a day. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. but it felt a little messy to me. Yeah, for sure. It'd be nice if lynda.com could have taught me how to do this better. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. That was like a, that was like a Michael Jackson laugh for me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This episode is brought to you, brought to us. We're brought to you by lynda.com, the online learning platform with over 3,000 on-demand video courses to help strengthen your business technology and creative skills. You can get a free 10-day trial if you go to lynda.com, that's L-Y-N-D-A.com slash Ruby on Rails. Uh, they recommend some courses for listeners. Uh, here are four. RSpec Testing Framework with Ruby, Code Clinic Ruby, Ruby Essential Training, and Localization for Developers. Um... I also recommend uh, their design courses. I uh, am not a great designer, but I have to to do some of that work, uh, both visual design plus sort of dealing with, you know, responsive design and you know how do you how do you construct the HTML and CSS in a way that is going to be friendliest across devices. And uh, for me, Linda has been very helpful for that because that's not my sort of core skill set and has been easy to uh, to sort of level up my skills by going through some of those courses. Uh, you can watch and learn from top experts who are passionate about teaching. They've got thousands of video courses. It's all on demand. You can learn at your own schedule. You can browse the transcript uh, so you can follow along or skip right to where you uh, uh, want to learn more. You can download uh, the tutorials and watch them on the go on either iOS or Android and save playlists. Your lynda.com membership gives you unlimited access to all of that for one flat rate. You can try it all out for free uh, for 10 days at lynda.com slash Ruby on rails. Thanks to them for sponsoring. Nice. Okay. Okay. So what have we covered so far? We had the seated database stuff. We had the database, database performance, Mm -hmm. Uh, Heroku, Dinoship. Baby server. I I even feel like Dino. It was it's a brilliant name, right? Like it's calling it short for something. Well, it's like short. It's like short for something in the same way that Curly is short for guy with no hair in Three Stooges. <laughs> you know, it's it's double speak, right? It's short yeah. for 1984, uh, right? Because like a more honest name would would not be Dino. No, thank God they didn't use the word container or something. 
Right. Well, it's interesting. You sort of look at their branding and I think, I don't know. I mean, maybe people liked the, the, you know, Japanese origami plus, uh, plus dinosaur branding all along, but I think it was actually much more smart business wise than, than, uh, maybe people recognize. Yeah. Anyhow. Okay. So what other problems? Um, I can tell you haven't worked on a, uh, on a client side application by omitting this one so far. Um, cash busting, bundle cash busting, <laughs> uh, something with assets. <laughs> uh, no, no, that one's easy. Okay. Yeah. No, I don't know now. now. Now I don't know. Uh, number of API requests. Okay. Right. So you said something before, like it wasn't clear when the server was making rec- or when the client was making requests to the API or not, you know, which it shouldn't be, but getting sort of tuning this right so that when you load the page, like, let me give an example. So when you load the page that has, um, the list of profiles on it, like how many, uh, requests to the server were required in order to render that page. And the answer could be anywhere from one to like a million, right? Cause you know, so for example, that page has a, um, they're called load notification subscription. So that's the core resource. And then each of those has, um, has many load searches and each of those have many criteria and each of those have, you know, and on and on and on, right. There are many, many resources in this tree. So, so how, uh, whether, uh, when you, uh, go to that page, if the model resolves in a way that gives you everything you need to render it efficiently is a big thing with these sorts of apps. So at first, um, a number of the pages were making like literally 200 requests, you know, which wasn't a concern because you're like, Oh, okay. This is not a hard one to tune really. Right. I just like look at what it's requesting and then include it in, in the, uh, in the initial request that's getting resolved and, and, you know, if, if things, if you, if you, if you can preload like an example, uh, I was requesting the equipment types again and again and again. Well, that's dumb because like I, I should just load that a single time for the entire app and then use that list or a better example. Cause maybe I wasn't, maybe that one wasn't as big of a problem as states. So the application uses like geographic states in some places. And there are enough states where, um, maybe you don't because, because I've got data, not just from the U S but from multiple countries in the server. Um, maybe I don't want to sort of return back a a single request that has all of the state data, right? Like maybe that's gotta be paginated or, you know, maybe I want to make sure that I don't have any one request that's going to take too long on the server. So I paginate it by my discretion. Mm-hmm. So, you know, then I, I needed to figure out, okay, well, I, I probably should just load that data at the front end, um, in the background. So like, don't hold up the rendering of the application because I probably don't need those states right away. Like I probably will right. need a, a minute l- later, but like get to fetching those early on so that by the time I need them, they're probably all, all here and I don't make another request. So there is, you could do like five shows on techniques to, uh, improve the number of and type of API uh, API calls that you're making in order to render your client side app, and probably took me, oh man, day and a half to get through all of it. 
you know, so that there are, there's, there are the fewest number of requests going out on every type of page. Yeah. Um, so, and that's not DDoSing yourself anymore. Uh, exactly. <laughs> You'll get, you look at the Chrome. Why isn't this page loading? Reload hundred requests. Reload hundred requests. <laughs> well, and it, it, it's a little bit, uh, sort of bothersome when you see how the app responds, because if, if, uh, usually what'll happen is if you're returning the model, which is like, say an array of the load notification subscriptions in my example, then, uh, and then each of those is making, let's say eight requests, uh, out to the server, then the, the page will render. And then it's just, it's parts will fill in like, you know, five parts per second or something. And, you know, so the pa- it just feels, it's not good. Um, so it took me a day or two to get through all that. Um, just sort of understanding how the application was chatting to the server and reducing the chattiness. And then, you know, that, that leads you down various paths too about how I could architect it better to, like I said, load some global data or, um, you know, provide, uh, feedback to the user if data is not yet available, um, et cetera. Um, and that's a very different skill set. So if you're not used to writing client side applications, that's a, that's a new thing. Yeah. Um, that you just aren't, I mean, it's sort of like, it's the same sort of skills that you have to use when you're diagnosing N plus one issues in the database side, but it's, it's a little different because the tool set's different. Yeah. Man. Okay. So I got one, one other very big category, which is what I was dealing with it last night. And, oh, you, you mentioned the word a minute ago, which is caching. Caching. So, caching giveth and caching taketh away. <laughs> well, exactly. so I tweeted out caching giveth and a little, a little <laughs> screenshot of the performance of the application after I cached this one very key method in the application. Mm-hmm. And I tweeted it caching giveth because you know, like I know the next tweet's coming. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I'm not, I was not born yesterday. I am not going to gloat about, uh, the win of caching without at least foreshadowing <laughs> the coming problem. Um, so the, the thing that is cached is sort of interesting. Um, so I, I figured out that a huge load was being put on the server, uh, calculating the sentence description of a search because a search can include many criteria as we talked about before. So it can be like matches, all, um, flatbed loads that are, uh, either partial or full that originate in, you know, within a hundred miles of Houston, Texas, and go to one of these seven States, uh, that blah, 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 right. All these things. So that sort of text representation of that is, uh, like a description that the load search provides as a method. And it's expensive to calculate because it's got to go fetch all of the criteria and their children. And then, well, that's really the expensive part. Um, so that's the bit that I've cached, right? Is like, you know, cache the description itself. Um, because that was consuming like a absurd amount of the server resources, given how often the load searches are used. But I, you know, that that's, you know, a problem's coming with that one. Yeah, for sure. Um, oh, well, just put an observer on it and oh, that, that'll solve all your problems. It works. Observer. 
That's the answer to every problem in Rails. Uh-huh. Well, that's, it, a, that's a that's a dusty joke over there. It's bringing you back to 2011. Well, the interesting bit about that is that uh, everything old against new again is that's now a relevant joke in Ember too. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Because em- Ember uses um, sort of internally, Ember uses observers extensively so that it observes when a thing changes and then propagates. You know other actions based on the change mm. and it needs observers internally in order to um, deal with computed properties and other things that are reset given uh, changes, which is a way to make the, the Ember more efficient. The irony is that if you use observers in your own app, you will absolutely make it less efficient than it probably should be because you'll keep on kicking off work again and again and again and again when it shouldn't be. So, uh, yeah, the the joke uh, would have relevance for either either group. <laughs> good. I'm glad my jokes are evergreen. <laughs> exactly. Like, about two years ago, it would have just been like a, a dud. <laughs> so you got to save them up, write them down. <laughs> exactly. Uh, we have one last sponsor. I'd like to tell you about him. Please. It's Squarespace. I've never heard of them. Have you ever used Squarespace? Um, and I have, so if your answer is no, don't worry about screwing up the spot. Cause I have, and I can talk about it. Yeah. I mean, not really. I've, I've, I've started one and then said, I don't really need what it does. Um, uh, interesting. Demerit. Let me talk about, <laughs> let me talk about Squarespace. Then. So my website, barely com, which is, uh, not frequently updated, but, uh, not to be confused with barley known. That's right. Which is the artisanal barley shop. <laughs> no, no, this is barely known. You know, yeah. Can't mumble that one. Can't Louisville through this one. Uh, so barely known.com is built on Squarespace. And that's one of the reasons it looks nice. Um, I use one of their off the shelf templates. The only bit that I added was I made the little, uh, barely known strike through logo at the top. And then, um, went with what they offered and had a nice professionally designed, nice looking site that works on mobile or desktop just fine. They've got uh, intuitive tools. It's pretty easy to post whatever it is that you want to post, whether it's a um, blog about, um, do people say blog as an, I think blog is like the site, not the post, right? A blog post about coding. You know, they make that easy or photos or a gallery of things or whatever. Uh, their tools make it easy. You can even sell stuff on your website very, very easily um, with the built-in uh, sort of management capabilities that Squarespace gives you. If you sign up for a year, you'll get a free domain. Um, which I don't think I... I think I should have done that, but I did not. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> See, there's your chance to get barley known. That's right. Yeah, redirect it. So that's, you know two people that go there after this to see <laughs> if there really is a barley known would end up at my site instead. Um, anyhow, you can start your free trial today at squarespace.com. Uh, you, well, that's right. Every time I say this, uh, I don't have a, an offer code, but the critical path does use theirs critical path, uh, in the offer code to get 10% off your first purchase. You'll show support for them, but us in spirit. And, uh, anyhow, thanks to, uh, Squarespace for sponsoring both five by five and the Ruby on rails podcast Squarespace build it beautiful. Okay. So when you're dealing with kind of this production push and the list of things that I've had to deal with is not over yet. Uh, but 
but let's, let's talk about process. How do you manage it? Like, you know, let's say, you know, you're from the one day to five days from having a, a site up and, and, you know, being used by real people. Um, what do you do to sort of get through the, that set of things in a way where you like know what's left to do and, and, uh, what isn't left to do and what's important? Um, Hmm, do, do you a have the me- method, a Kyle method? A Kyle method. Um, yeah, you know, so I don't know that it's like so much of a concern about like w- when I'm going to go to production because like generally speaking, I'm always pushing to some version of staging, you know, some something that looks a lot like production but isn't uh, yet. Um, and so... I I just generally push up to that along the way. And most of the time, it's kind of a couple of things. Like, one, am I adding a database column or not? And uh, if I am, then I kind of have to go a slightly different route to make sure that that goes in before my code changes go in. Um, create two pull requests, one for just the migration and schema change and one for the code change. Um, so that's one piece. Um, does the data, like you said earlier, sometimes you have to make data changes, you know, in order to make the whole system work correctly. Uh, and so if I have to do that, then there's another pull request that does um, like a data transition in, in, on our site at GitHub, which basically is run a run some code that's going to make the change the data into how I need it to work, you know, for, for my upcoming code change. Um, some of the things you have to look at are am I changing how background jobs are going to be processed? Like, am I changing the arguments that a background job expects because you can deploy to production and, you know, with a change to say the methods that are the arguments rather that a, that a background job expects. And thus at some point you're going to be pulling jobs that don't have the necessary arguments. And so you have to make your background jobs backwards compatible, at least for the, you know, until you can work through the queue uh, to, to get, just the new jobs essentially um so that's sort of one big thing that can happen um and then it's more just like a rollout plan um if it's something that is relatively a small change then you can just sort of deploy it to production potentially um but if it's a larger change and you want to make sure that you're not you know impacting a larger set of people uh, a lot of the times we're deploying to like a tiny subset of servers um and then just going like host by host and adding another host and adding another host until you, you know, there's confidence that we're not going to impact a large majority of the users, for example. Um, and so, you know, most of this is only available to me at GitHub because of the tooling that exists around being able to do all this, you know, um, like on a, on a side project or something, I'm probably much less, um, you know, uh, careful, you know, a little more cavalier. It kind of depends on, you know, how many users are using the system and, and what sort of, uh, you know, tools are available to you because I, I think it's like really worthwhile spending some time to be able to, you know, just deploy, um, you know, pieces of code out. And so in something like Heroku, a lot of times it's not possible necessarily to just, unless, unless things have changed over time, but like to say like, you know, deploy to one dyno, uh, you know, and not the 10 that I have running. Um, and so they, know, they do them... have, a, a, oh, they, do they? yeah, well, it's not exactly what you just said, but they have a feature now that is super good for this, which is, um, you can either manually or have them automatically do this. You can I'll have to look up what it's called, the but preloading. 
Well, yeah, and that's a bit of a double-edged... Yeah, that's sort of a double-edged sword, and pre-booting is... Let's get back to that in a second. So you can um, build an app off of a pull request. Um, Oh, review apps. Review apps, there we go. Yep. Now, that's not like the have, you know, one of N change, but it is a pretty nice way to say, like, okay, is is this going to work as I think it will Mm -hmm. uh, out on uh, production? In, in a way that's like very very easy, yeah. And they have the pipelines too, which can do some of that too. Uh-huh. Yeah, and pipelines is good. It's a good feature. I actually, I'm actually not using it for this app, but I have used it for others, and I like I like it quite a bit. It's a very well done sort of set of features that aren't technically all that complicated, but they definitely understand how people use their their um, service, which is nice. Um. I think that the the points you made about GitHub are interesting in that, like GitHub is, uh, there's some aphorism about this, but you know, when you're small, you deal with feature problems. When you're big, you deal with scale problems. Right. And I don't think that one is necessarily easier than the other, you know, like in this case where I'm building something or I'm deploying something new, my problems aren't about backward compatibility so much, although there, there is an interesting side story on that in a second. But it's mostly about new stuff, in which case, like, the problems that I deal with are a big list of, like, just thinking through how the real world is going to interact with this and trying to get out of my own groove and rut to find those paths that I haven't traveled yet to see the issues and then create, like, a very comprehensive set of to-dos around solving them. Right. Whereas in the case of GitHub, you're probably not adding, and that often at least, many, many new features. But even a small feature has big implications because like you said, you got to deal with, you know, if it's a database migration, it takes like an act of Congress, I'm sure to deal with it. <laughs> like, I don't know that, but usually that's the case. Yeah. It's not bad. You know, like, like again, like, you know, GitHub had to make it not be bad, you know, uh, like there's a bunch of tools that we have now that like, there is a team, you know, uh, our core app team that does the migrations for you. So it's not like I'm going to just go run the migration. They sort of review it, give it a test run and then do it. Um, and so it's not, it's not as bad as you would think, you know, it's like maybe a 24 hour waiting period to get your migration to run. But, it does. It doesn't need an act of Congress. It doesn't need its own team. <laughs> it does. It does have a team that's responsible to do it. Yes. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. yeah. So, and that's just like a different, you know, it's just a different set of problems. Um, so I had a, an interesting, uh, interesting thing happen yesterday, um, related to this topic, which is it started three days ago. So three days ago, I saw a reply to, um, one of these automated emails. Like I'm on, I, I get copied or forwarded, I guess, forwarded the, um, uh, some emails that come back to the shared box just so I can see things like this. And I saw in the reply, something in their notification that looked fishy. Like uh, there were basically duplicates of searches in which should be prevented by the application. Like it should aggregate duplicates into like one thing and then put a count under it, you know, next to it, but it wasn't doing that. And you ever have that feeling when you see something like that and you're like, Oh no. <laughs> yeah. Because you know, it's not a small thing. Like this isn't like a data, this isn't like an instance of one bad profile. Like the only way that could happen is something very fundamental and sort of low level. So I went and looked and I'm like, man, I thought I tested this and I had, um, and, uh, um, the, the source of the bug was actually interesting. 
So the method that was doing a key piece of work in this finding duplicates was um, relied on querying the database to get um, related records that it needed. And, um, but it was, when it was being compared, uh, it, when the duplicate sort of comparison was happening, the one record wasn't yet saved. So when it was looking for its related has many records that matched this criteria, it was firing off a database request, which of course was returning nothing because they weren't persisted yet. And in my tests, they were persisted, but in the real world, they weren't. So I had to, you know, I had to switch it so that it would just do it in, in memory instead, you know, sort of in Ruby instead of in the database. Um, but now I had a problem because, uh, even though it was was an easy fix to actually solve the, the underlying problem that was causing this bug, I had thousands and thousands of duplicates and like, whoops. (laughs) Yeah. Like which from a business perspective, wasn't the end of the world because they were basic. It really wasn't changing the notifications that went out. Um, It just was making the, uh, like the, the reason for them going out ugly and then you made, you know, managing them ugly. And then it turned out there was a bit of a business problem in that it was, if there, there were two profiles being created for the same carrier, if, you know, in a very particular, uh, situation, and I had to figure out how to fix it in place. Uh, have you had to do something like that before? Um, yeah. Yeah, and it's usually horrible. <laughs> oh. oh, man. I mean, like, you know, so, like, with hook stuff especially, like, you know, you make one small change and you realize that, like, so one of the big problems with hook stuff is a lot of the attributes on hooks are serialized. And so, like, you you can't really do a, a real database change. You have to like, you know, serialize the attributes and then you store it into a giant blob. And so if you find that you need to like make a change because like, oops, I made a bug and you know, now all this stuff isn't working correctly. You know, you have to like iterate through each Ruby object to right. like unserialize it, make the change and send it back in and hope you didn't screw it up the second time, you know? Um, and so, you know, it was funny when you said like that you got the test emails. I mean, for me, it's, it's really, we, you know, relying on like integrators to come back and say, you know, Hey, this thing isn't really working the way I would anticipate, you know, cause we can, we have all kinds of graphs and stuff to make sure that there's not like a systemic problem, but sometimes there's small problems that impact a subset of users. And those are hard to detect over graphs and whatnot. And so like every time you get an email, that's like, Hey, I'm not getting any hooks or Hey, the API is only returning this error code or whatever. You know, like the, your first thought is usually, oh, well, that's, like, unique to you, you know, but then, like, you're not entirely sure. It's how you still are, like, digging in through the entire system to make sure that, you know, oh, geez, I really hope this isn't, like, this giant bug that we accidentally introduced. So uh, I can totally see where you're coming from. Yeah, and it was me. <laughs> so, like, I was like, <laughs> I oh, was the bug. I was the bug. Yeah. And that there should be a name for that moment where you get the email that has, like, a... Because most of those emails end up not being a fundamental problem, right? Like, so if if I were to receive a thousand emails from someone in a year, you know, the vast majority, like 980 of them would be either, you know, some temporary blip, whatever, uh, or, you know, problem with the documentation or, you know, the way someone is using something or like you said, a special case that, you know, is, is a problem, but not like a fundamental problem. But 20 out of the thousand once in a while are a thing. And yeah, every time you get one of those emails, you know, uh oh, 
like, could this be one of those? Uh, and this one was, so I, yeah, I had to do the, the rake task that did the, or two rake tasks that did the sort of repair in place. Oh man. Which is anxiety producing or, you know, cause it had to basically like switch a bunch of foreign keys into, you know, the, uh, the one that should be the only one and then delete the duplicates after that. Right. And anytime you're typing dot destroy. Yeah. <laughs> <Whoops>. <laughs> oh man, pull that down from production and run it. And then of course the production database is very big and, you know, this is, this is more of a GitHub type problem where w- once you've got a bunch of data and things running, like something that is at least uh, conceptually not that complicated is not simple, yeah, or not right. fast at the very least. All right. Anyway, so this was my week. I'm not quite done, but I think I will be... I think I'll have my beta version of this out tonight. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. And, and interestingly, even though we talked here for an hour and 10 minutes about this or something, um, multiple sort of topics that we didn't even cover. Yeah, right. Which is just to say, like... like you know, you're screwed and you'll never be able to get your production app in a state that makes you happy yeah is that it (laughs) well i think i think you won't be able to do like it'll take you more time than you may have budgeted so make sure you budget time for this yeah for sure like and this was a case i actually felt like my uh, like i i hit the maturity gong on this one because i told the team okay you know let's let's uh, let's count on five days because at first we'll feel like oh shoot things are bad. You know, what looks good in production is, is slow and not exactly what we want or what looks good on my machine is slow and in production. And I said, don't let's not sweat it. Like let's just give ourselves, you know, four days, three, three to five days to get through that. And then, you know, we'll be fine. And that's, so that's what happened. You know, now things are snappy and great. And, uh, the application, you know, I found some underlying data bugs related to it in the process. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, but the path from here to there, like it, it, it definitely, like I was feeling very high a week ago and then pretty low two days later and now feeling pretty high again. So yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yep. Awesome. There we go. Ship it. Yeah. I'm about to put them. Is that like the ship it squirrel or whatever in Slack? That, that guy's about to get tagged. <laughs> All right. Anything, uh, anything to promote? Uh, no, uh, I am going on vacation, yo. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah. So see you in a couple of weeks now. Uh, yeah, no, going on vacation next week. So I'll be out of pocket. If anyone wants some Mickey Mouse ears, now's the time to place your order. Nice. With the Daigle clan. <laughs> oh, we, we owe a huge, uh, congratulations. Ah, uh, yes. To our friend, Brian Nelson. Yeah. Uh, his wife Heather had their second baby. When was that? Is that two days ago? Uh, yeah, two days ago, I believe. Yeah, two days ago. So uh, Kyle and I hang out with him in Slack, and Kyle hangs out with him in person pretty often. Uh, so they have their second baby, and everyone's healthy and happy, and he listens to this show. So. Yep, and just in time to, just in time to have Thanksgiving dinner. Are they going to be home for that? Yeah. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah, I think that was Brian's primary concern. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we well, know where he sits with Thanksgiving. Thankfully, Heather does not listen to this show. <laughs> yeah, congrats, so... Congrats. Yeah, congrats to them. Uh, you coming to the game tonight? 
Uh, you know, I think so, but uh, <laughs> I need to. I, I yelled for her, but I think she knew not to come in while I was recording the podcast. Okay, well then, let's stop recording and then we'll talk about it. All right, <laughs> all right. Well, happy Thanksgiving to all that celebrate, and to you, Kyle. You know, yeah, whatever, whatever, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. See ya. <laughs>